Today's reading is taken from Malachi, chapter 2, verse 17, through to chapter 3, verse 15. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a laundress soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud labourers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, will do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruits before it is ripe says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed, Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Here is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Maureen. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name's Tim Johnson. I'm the senior minister here at St. John's. And, uh, yeah, we're going to tackle another tough passage from Malachi together. As Del said, we've, we've called this series, Why We Need Christmas. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, written some 400 years before the coming of Jesus. It's the last word, words that we read in the Old Testament. 
Uh, And they're not comfortable words, they're challenging words, but they're words which remind us of why we need a saviour, why we need Jesus to come, why we need Christmas. And today we're thinking about the question of justice. We need Christmas because we need justice. Uh, Everywhere you look, there is injustice, things that are just not right, things that are not fair. Uh, Perhaps you've got things in your mind things on your heart that you're particularly aware of, things that uh, stir your emotions, make you feel angry and outraged. Uh, Maybe it's things that when you think about them, you just want to weep at the unfairness, the injustice that you see, Uh, things that when you hear about them prompt you into action. There's a variety of things and there's probably things that will touch different people in different ways. Maybe it's the the plight of refugees held in detention for extended periods of time on places like Manus Island and Nauru. Uh, Maybe it's the impact of climate change on developing nations and the failure of prosperous nations to respond to the challenge of climate change in a timely manner. Maybe it's uh, things like Victoria's abortion laws Uh, which allow abortions on request up to 24 weeks of pregnancy. Maybe it's the restrictions that you see on freedom, freedom of speech or religion or association, uh, seen in various countries in varying ways around the world, uh, and increasingly the case here too. Maybe it's the health and welfare of Indigenous Australians, where, for example, the, the infant mortality rate of Indigenous children is twice that of non-Indigenous children. And the life expectancy of an Indigenous Australian is 10 years less than a non-Indigenous Australian. Maybe you're especially aware of issues of justice at Christmas time, where wealthy nations like ours spend so much money on things that we don't need and we eat until we feel sick, while many around the world live in poverty and don't have their basic needs? What are the issues of injustice that stir your heart and your emotions? Everywhere you look, there is injustice. Uh, And for Christians, when we see injustice around us, uh, it's not just an emotional problem, it's not just something that stirs our hearts and emotions, it's also a theological problem. Why does God allow so much injustice to take place in the world? The problem of injustice is actually a subset of the the problem of suffering. As Christian people, we believe in a God who is all-powerful, all-loving, and who is just in his character. So presumably, if these things are true, God is able to do something about injustice God should be willing to do something about injustice. And so the question arises, well, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he act? Where is the God of justice? Well, those are the words that the people of Israel cry out in Malachi uh, chapter 2, verse 17. Their cry to God, their cry is, where is the God of justice? Uh, As we've seen, Malachi is a prophet who's bringing God's word to God's people. Uh, The events that we're reading about take place in about 400 BC. 
the people of Israel are living back in the land of Palestine after they've spent 70 years in exile uh, away in Babylon. But things are clearly not going smoothly for the people of Israel. And presumably they're seeing injustice all around them, uh, particularly in the surrounding nations, and they're probably the victims of injustices and evil, and they are not impressed with God for allowing this to happen. Where is the God of justice, they say? In fact, if you look at uh, Malachi 2.17, their words are even more strong than that. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. That's a pretty cynical thing to say, isn't it? That God looks at evil and injustice, and God thinks that it's good, that it makes him pleased, that it makes him happy. They're claiming, in fact, as they look at injustice, that God is not, in fact, just and loving, but that he is twisted and corrupt. And this actually leads them to not want anything to do with him. Right down at the end of the passage, in chapter 3, verse 14, uh, the, the passage is framed, if you like, by these cries out to God. At the end of the passage, they say, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. The problem of injustice is so great for these people that they want to abandon God. They don't even want to bother with God. Maybe you felt like this. Maybe this is what you feel like at the moment. Maybe it's a personal issue of injustice that you have faced that makes you feel this way. Maybe you're here today and you're not a, not a Christian. You're interested in what Christians believe, but you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And actually, this issue of injustice and suffering is one of the barriers for you to faith. It's one of the, the things that stop you believing in God. Well, God has some things to say in response to this. He'll uh, speak into the issues of injustice and he'll speak about what he plans to do. And we'll look at that as we unpack the passage. But first, I just want to say two things as an aside. Uh, first thing I want to say is that it's okay when faced with injustice to cry out to God about it. The Psalms, uh, the songbook of the Bible, if you like, uh, are fill, is filled with these sorts of cries to God. When people are distressed, when they see injustice, when they see evil, they say to God, why do you allow this? God, I don't understand why this is happening. And how long are you going to let this go on for, God? Make it stop. That sort of cry is actually a faith-filled response. That's not an abandoning of faith to cry out and to complain to God about evil and injustice. It's being honest with God. It's telling God how we feel. It's a turning to God and recognising that he is the one who can help and it's asking him to act. 
rather than abandoning faith by crying out to God in that way, it's an act of faith. But what we see in this passage is is more than this. The people here have moved from an act of faith in God as just and good, and they start accusing God of himself being evil and unjust, and they've decided that there's no point in trusting God, so they've decided to abandon faith altogether. Now, the second aside that I want to make uh, at this point is that abandoning God in the midst of injustice, as, as tempting as it might feel, doesn't actually solve the problem of injustice. It merely shifts the problem somewhere else. See, if we decide that there, there is no God and we adopt, say, a materialistic view of the universe, that the material universe is all that there is, that there, there is no God, the injustices we see around us just make belief in God too hard and so the material universe must be all that there is. If you adopt that view, then you have to just say, well, injustice just happens, and it's simply the way things are, and there's nothing really to be done about it. This is the way the the prominent atheist Richard Dawkins puts it. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, Others are going to get lucky and we won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. Dawkins says, just get over it. Don't try and explain it. Don't try and find a pattern in it. Don't scream against injustice. It just happens. Now, I admire Dawkins' honesty At least he's not trying to have it both ways. He follows through on his his intellectual position that the material world is all that there is and he follows it to its logical conclusion. If there is no God, if the universe is just produced and run by blind physical forces, as he puts it, then there's absolutely no basis for saying that injustice should not happen. Indeed, the evolutionary mechanism of natural selection depends on death and destruction and the strong overpowering the weak. These things are perfectly natural and so there's no point objecting to the injustice of the world or claiming that things are not as they should be. Well, doesn't that solve the problem? Sure, sounds like it it does, but... Tim, you were saying that it doesn't solve the problem, it just shifts the problem. Well, here's why. See, many atheists who hold such an intellectual position have found themselves crying out in the midst of injustice and suffering, why? Why is this happening? It's not fair and railing against the injustice of it all. There's something in our makeup as human beings which draws us to ask the question, even if our intellectual position says that it's not the question that we should be asking. The well known author C.S. Lewis grappled with this very question as an atheist. But it was the very grappling with this question that led him to reject atheism 
and to embrace God. This is how he put it. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying that it was just a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then... Sorry, I've lost my place. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. See, it was Lewis's recognition that there is injustice in the world and that it is wrong, it's not the way that things ought to be, that showed him that he couldn't simply reject belief in the existence of God. So you've either got to reject the notions of wickedness and injustice and moral obligation, or you've got to wrestle with the problem of suffering and injustice in light of the character of God. So wherever you're at today in terms of wrestling with injustice, let me urge you not to abandon God. Don't abandon God because you are struggling with the problem of injustice in the world. By abandoning God, at at least for materialistic atheism, you can solve the problem, but the very thoughts and emotional struggles that you have about injustice, which led you there in the first place, betray you. Injustice is a real problem. Injustice is wrong. It's not enough to just get over it. Something has gone terribly wrong in our world and we're right to protest it. We're right to cry out to God about it. And we need to hear what God has to say in response. Back to Malachi. Here is God's answer in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. He says... I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. God's answer is that he is going to intervene personally in the world of injustice. He'll send a messenger who will prepare the way And then he says that he himself will come. The Lord, the name for God, the one you are seeking will come. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. Uh, The language here is is quite dense and a little bit confusing. Um, There's multiple messengers. There's a messenger who prepares the way. And yet when God sends the messenger, when he himself comes, it's a messenger of the covenant. There's kind of two messengers, a preparing messenger and then the actual messenger. And and God says that he himself is coming, but then he refers to this messenger in the third person as well, speaking of what this one will do. It's confusing trying to work it out until you see it actually come 
into practice because what we have here is a beautiful promise, a promise that is fulfilled in Jesus. John the Baptist comes as the first messenger to prepare the way and then God himself enters the world in human flesh, born as a baby, laid in a manger. That's the good news of Christmas that we're preparing to celebrate. The problem of injustice in the world, the emotional problem, the emotional reaction to injustice, as well as the theological problem, have their answer at Christmas, where God himself enters the world to deal with injustice and suffering. God says, I see the injustice. I'm not indifferent to it. I myself will come and enter the world, immerse myself and experience injustice in my life in order to deal with it. But I warn you, you may not like it if I do. Malachi 3.2 goes on to ask the question, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? See, it's one thing, isn't it, to complain about injustice that we see out there happening all the time. But what about the injustice that happens here? What about my unjust actions? And what about my indifference and my selfishness that contributes to injustice? Uh, You might have seen uh, videos which have been doing the round recently um, by the Australian comedian Sammy Jay about some of the exploitative practices that happen in the clothing industry. Uh, The video particularly focuses on Kmart, um, showing that workers who are producing clothes for places like Kmart are earning just 60 cents an hour, uh, which is insufficient to pay for their basic needs. Uh, And yet people in wealthy countries like ours often buy these these clothes without even thinking what we're doing, not realising that our purchasing actually contributes to injustice and exploitation when all we're really trying to do is shop, shop for a bargain. Injustice is not just out there. Injustice is here too. And it's ingrained within our systems, systems that we're part of, systems that we contribute to. If God comes storming in to rid the world immediately of all injustice, who could stand? Could you stand? Could I stand? No, none of us is perfectly just and fair. But here is God's justice and his mercy brought together. When God comes, when the Lord comes, he doesn't come as a destroyer, he comes as a purifier and refiner, that language of being uh, a refiner's fire and a a launderer's soap, like washing the dirt away, like refining um, the, the ore to bring out the beautiful gold and silver. He wants to root out injustice, but he wants to do it within people, within us, rather than simply judging and destroying and cutting down everything in his path. What God wants is a people who are pure and who are upright and who are just, people who reflect the justice of God. So God says that when he comes, he'll put people on trial. He'll testify against sorcery, adultery, perjury, 
against people who rip off workers, people who take advantage of the weak and the vulnerable, people who mistreat immigrants and refugees and don't act justly towards them. That's the language of Malachi. I'll put you on trial, God says, you as individuals and you as a society, collectively. Now, the message of Malachi was a message to God's people, Israel. And when Jesus comes, he does speak about injustice and he calls people back to God's standards. But those standards of justice apply equally to us, don't they? As God's people, as followers of Jesus who are called to reflect the character of God in our own lives, to be refined like silver and gold, to act rightly and fairly, to be people of justice who follow a God of justice. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, we have a promise from God, a promise that should be both a comfort and a challenge. God says, I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. God is the same and his character is perfectly consistent. It's a comfort that that's the case. Uh, As verse 6 goes on to say, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. God doesn't change in his patience, in his mercy, in his forgiveness, in his grace. We see this so clearly in the coming of Jesus. When God enters the world to deal with injustice, he comes as a vulnerable baby to live amongst us. He comes with the name Jesus, which means God saves because he's come to rescue us from sin, including our injustice. He comes with a message of good news rather than condemnation. That is what we celebrate in Advent as we give thanks to God and we celebrate the coming of Jesus. But Advent is also about looking to the second coming of Jesus. And at the second coming of Jesus injustice will be finally dealt with. Jesus has come to save, but he will also come as our judge. He'll come to bring justice, and he'll come to deal with injustice. I, the Lord, do not change. It's a message of challenge too, because God must judge injustice. He would be unjust if he didn't. The accusation of verse 15 that evildoers keep on prospering, when people put God to the test, they get away with it time and time again. Those would be fair criticisms of God if not for the second coming of Jesus where justice will be completed. As we look around the world and we see injustice around us, often it can be overwhelming and we might ask the question, Where is the God of justice? Why hasn't Jesus come back to deal with it yet? I find 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, uh, so helpful as we reflect on these questions. Peter says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We're people who live between the two comings of Jesus, the two advents. 
We live in a period of God's patience. Jesus has come into the world. He's died on the cross to deal with our sins, offering forgiveness for all our injustices and wrongdoing. And he's risen from the dead, showing his victory over sin and death and marking him out as the one who is the rightful king and judge of the world. Now is the time to receive his forgiveness, to turn to him. It's a time for repentance, which means turning our lives away from injustice and wrong and turning back to God to live his way in alignment with his character. In the words of Malachi 3.7, return to me. God says, return to me, return to me and I will return to you. What does that mean for me and for you? Well, if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, it means that you need to turn to Jesus and receive his forgiveness. God is being patient with you. God is giving you time to repent, but don't continue to test his patience. God's entered the world in Jesus to rescue you and he wants to refine you to be like him. You need to turn to him to receive him. It's as simple as praying a prayer, talking to God yourself and saying, God, I want to turn away from my injustice and sin and I want to receive your forgiveness and grace and new life. You can pray that prayer today. It's something that you need to do. Don't keep testing God's patience. He has been patient. He is patient. But Jesus is coming back and we all have to account for our lives before him. What about if you're a follower of Jesus already? What do you need to do? Well, you need to repent. You need to turn to Jesus and keep turning to Jesus in repentance. Wherever there are injustices in your life, wherever there is injustice that you see around you in our society that you're contributing to, or you're indifferent to, God requires us to change and to work for change. Now you might say, well, why, why bother doing that? If, if Jesus is coming back, if Jesus is going to bring ultimate justice, why do anything? Why not just wait until he sorts it all out? Well, because that's not how the Christian life works. Christians are people who declare that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, and that his way is the right way to live. We want to live our lives continually under his rule. And as people who are waiting for Jesus to return as Lord and judge, we want to live now in the way of the future, to live life now the way that it will be when he comes to bring justice and put it into effect. We need to put it into, our effect, put it into effect in our lives now and work for that now, for the sake of the people who God loves, who are the victims of injustice. Getting practical, what might that look like? Well, it might mean changing where you shop. You can get ethical shopping guides, either hard copies or you can get uh, an app, Shop Ethical, so that you can have it with you to make decisions about how you use your money whether it's going to promote justice or continue to promote exploitation and injustice, using your money in ways which support fair pay for workers. 
Uh, just a few weeks ago, we had the only just stall out in our foyer as a way of ensuring that people in majority world countries are getting fair prices for the goods that they're producing. Those goods came from the only just stall in Eltham, uh, and you can drop in there and do, do shopping there as well. It might mean writing a letter or visiting your MP to advocate, to advocate for refugees, for Indigenous health, for religious freedom, for the vulnerable elderly or unborn, for changes to policies on climate change, those things that I mentioned before that stirred your heart and riled you, are you just getting angry and frustrated about it? Or are you doing something practical, taking a step of advocacy over those issues? Could mean using your money this Christmas not just to buy stuff that people don't need, but buying useful gifts. Now, that's the purpose of the tier gift cards that we've got out there. It's, it's things like buying vegetable gardens and chickens and mosquito nets and schooling and education for people in the places of the world who really need it. Using our money at Christmas to actually help others and to promote issues of justice around the world rather than just adding to the clutter of our houses. But the last practical thing that it should mean is that we pray. There's actually nothing more practical than prayer because we believe that God hears our prayers and answers them. We should be praying for justice in the world. We should be praying for our leaders who have to make tough decisions that they would act with wisdom and for the sake of justice. And ultimately, we should be praying for the return of Jesus, for the Lord and King of this world, the baby born in a manger, grown into adulthood, risen from the dead and seated at the right hand of God, the one who, when he does return, when his second advent comes, will bring justice to the whole world. We should pray, come Lord Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, there are so many issues of injustice that stir our hearts and occupy our minds. Help us to turn these to you, to cry out for justice not simply to be satisfied with our good lot in life, but to actually promote justice for the sake of others, particularly the most vulnerable and weak in our society and world. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has come to deal with injustice. We thank you that he has come amongst us as a saviour, so that we have a chance to respond in repentance. But we recognise that he is coming back as a judge. Help us to take this seriously, to look honestly at our lives, to root out areas of injustice and to change the way that we live in real ways, that we might reflect your character, Lord God, a God of justice and mercy and love. And we do long for the day when this world is rid of injustice, and we pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.